This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. I'm a hard-working nitrogen granule just like anyone else. I never used to take this nitrogen gig too seriously, but now I have a wife and kids to think about. So I wear this ESN polymer coating. Protects me from nitrogen loss on the job site until crops need me. No worries. The ESN coating makes me a smarter, more responsive nitrogen. Want to learn more? Come check me out at smartnitrogen.com. Hi, I'm Stephanie Crowley, Editorial Director of Top Crop Manager. Typically, this is the part of the podcast where I'd introduce my guest for the episode, but today you'll be hearing a new voice asking the questions. I'm excited to introduce you to our new co-host, Dylan Shirley. Dylan is a master's student studying entomology at the University of Saskatchewan, and we're excited to have his input on inputs. In this episode, Dylan chats with Jeremy Boychin, Agronomy Research Extension Specialist with Alberta Wheat and Barley Commission, and Kaylee Kondracic, Agronomy Extension Specialist for Saskanola, who both share a recap and insights from Harvest 2021. Welcome, Dylan, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Inputs, a podcast by Top Crop Manager. My name is Dylan Shirley, and I will be your host for today's episode. Today, I am joined by Jeremy Boychin. He is the Agronomy Research Extension Specialist with Alberta Wheat and Barley Commissions. Jeremy, how are you today? I'm doing great, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Uh, For our listeners, can you give uh, a brief introduction to yourself and what you do uh, as an Agronomy Research Extension Specialist? Sure. So as you mentioned, I am the Agronomy Research Extension Specialist with the Alberta Wheat and Alberta Barley Commissions. Um, So my role uh, does cover a lot of different facets. Um, but the main goal of, of my role is to make sure that the uh, research that Alberta Wheat and Alberta Fund um, finds its way to producers so they can make better management decisions, uh, more economic management decisions, um, so we can be more successful moving forward in the agriculture industry. Fantastic. So today's episode, uh, we're going to be talking about how harvest is going, or rather maybe how it went in Alberta with respect to uh, wheat and barley. So could you uh, just talk about how, uh, I guess, Harvest 21 went in Alberta? Yeah, so Harvest 21 has been rather interesting. Um, I'm I'm sure most people at this point know Harvest moved much quicker than normal. Um, At this point, we are, uh, at least with wheat and barley, we are darn near done. Um, There's only going to be a few fields left in the majority of the province. Uh, you know, the south has been been done for a number of weeks now. Um, just probably a few fields left in the northern parts um, that maybe were, were, were left to the last uh, little bit of harvest. So things have moved very quickly. And we know that because of, of lack of rainfall and the challenging season that we had, uh, in general, yields have been rather challenging, which means, uh, you know, we, we saw a rather drastic decrease in yields. Um, across the entire province Um, and and that means combines can move a little bit quicker through those fields not chopping through as much material Um, so so yeah harvest went quickly Um, and I think you know I I heard it said before this year was a lot about expectations and knowing what to expect coming from the field Um, and I think a a lot of the yields are, are aligning with what we expected 
with the lack of rainfall we saw across the province. Yeah, I think most folks, when they kind of looked at their rain gauge and didn't see, you know, a drop or or a speck of water for the majority of the summer, kind of uh, they understood what this field season was going to mean for their yields. Um, So just going back to how harvest went and the progression of how quickly it was, obviously this is going to be well above uh, the five-year average and the 10-year average, but are there any other years maybe in past that uh, harvest 21 is kind of close to with how quick harvest went? Well, actually, interestingly, Dylan, last year, you know, we weren't terribly far behind in most of the province, um, you know, I looked at the numbers from last year and we were, you know, over 90% in around this timeline, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, obviously, there was a lot of challenges in the northwestern part of the province with excess rainfall. So that was that delayed a lot in that area. But the majority of the province did actually move pretty quickly. Uh, but compared to the five year and 10 year average, you know, the five year average is more in around that 65 to 70% at this time. Uh, and the 10 year is around that that 75%. So well above the average. And I would imagine, you know, I, I, I wasn't around during the, the late 80s and early 90s during the, that drought, those drought years, but I imagine it was similar to that. And a, a lot of the producers that I communicated with throughout the year, um, you know, those numbers, those years came up quite often of, we haven't seen lack of rainfall um, like this since, the late 80s and early 90s. Um, so I imagine those years, uh, we probably had accelerated harvest as well. Um, but that would obviously depend on how the fall looked like. We had a relatively open fall this year, so that helped. Those uh, yonder years before our times, perhaps, uh, might be from uh, when we have to talk to our uh, elders that are still farming. So you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier with the lack of precipitation that we had. Uh, were there any other kind of driving factors to uh, what made Harvest 21 kind of go so quickly? Maybe the immense heat that we might have had or experienced over the summer? Well, that, that was certainly a factor, Dylan. Um, but, you know, there's other aspects as well. And, and, you know, I mentioned about that northwestern part of the province that had excess amounts of rain in 2020. Um, and as a factor of that, um, producers had to manage some of the ruts and, and challenged areas of their fields and ended up implementing tillage in, in some areas. So that heated up the soil a little bit. So in that area, they had a little bit quicker germination because they had a little bit quicker soil or warmer soil. So things moved a little bit quicker. Um, you know, also in general, throughout the province, we had quite good early season moisture. That early May moisture, the late April, things were looking good. Um, you know, all the way from foremost up to the piece, things looked relatively good in terms of moisture. The piece was a little bit more lacking, but in general, we had good moisture to get things moving quickly. Nothing really sat in the ground and delayed. Um, but, you know, you hit on it. Temperature was a huge factor this year. Um, and, you know, I like to talk in growing degree days because it, it kind of gives context to what we're talking about. Um, you know, I looked at some of the numbers from some of the different areas and, and in Lethbridge, they had a 10% increase in the amount of growing degree days accumulated between May and the beginning of August. Uh, in Vermilion, that was a 17% increase. In Drumheller, that was a 23% increase in growing degree days between those times. So that is going to very quickly accelerate the growth of those plants um, and and get things moving a lot quicker. And then you combine that with the lack of rainfall that we got. 
um, you know, that's going to stress that plant out. It's going to push it into to heading and flowering much quicker um, because it doesn't want to delay uh, that stress any further than it needs to. So, um, you know, we're talking about the amount of heat that we had, you know, there were areas that we had 11 to, to 15 days of 30 degrees plus um, in many areas by the end of July. And then in the southern parts of the province, that number was more like 25 by the end of July. So we had a lot of very hot days. Um, and then rainfall, we know it was significantly down. You know, a few numbers here. Vermilion went from an average of 134 millimeters in the time period of, of um, May to beginning of August to, or sorry, 193 down to 134. And Lethbridge, 175 down to 62 millimeters in that growing season. So that lack of rainfall is gonna have a huge impact in how accelerated that, that plant growth is. And then, you know, I mentioned it before, the, the lack of plant material there and the open fall is gonna allow those, the, the producers to just move through that crop relatively quickly, probably see um, gear ratios moving through on the combine that they haven't seen in quite some time. So. Um, between all those factors, it just um, gets producers moving to the field quicker and gets, um, you know, those those subdued yields into the bin quicker as well. Yeah, I imagine this year was uh, a first for a lot of folks as they were going through uh, harvest and as they were sitting in their combines. Uh, you just briefly mentioned yields, and uh, I this is a slightly bit touchy, I imagine, but how were yields uh, for this past year? Yeah, not surprisingly, across the entire province, yields were down. Um, they're about 37% below the five-year average for across the province. Um, so that's a substantial decrease. There's areas that were hit much harder than others. Um, you know, the southern part of the province, um, which typically is the hardest hit when it comes to drought, um, saw the biggest decrease. Uh, you know, they were 56% below that five-year average. Um, you know, central it really, really depended whether they got some of those rains that came through um, and then probably the least hit, but still saw reduced yields was the northwest part of the province. Um, you know, the, the Peace region was hit relatively hard as well. Um, so across the board, everyone was hit with yield reductions. Um, you know, there might be some producers that, that saw, you know, average yields in the northwest, um, but in general, you know, we're looking at quite a slashed yield across the province, um, which obviously creates some challenges, especially coming into a year where it's looking like inputs are gonna, are gonna be a challenge in terms of, of pricing and cost. I can only imagine the kind of conversations that some people are trying to have with themselves and also with uh, their grain buyers as well, as they try to figure out what to actually do with their, their uh, substantially lower yields from this past year. So you've done a fantastic job already kind of talking about uh, the diversity in Alberta with respect to the regions. You know, you're talking about uh, producers and farmers in Lethbridge and, and around there, but also touching on uh, the Peace River region, which is, you know, if you live in Alberta, you know how far or away those two areas are. Um, and we've been talking about uh, the, the differences in precipitation and some other 
uh, interesting notes, uh, the differences that we might see from there. But were there any other trends or things that you saw or from heard of between the different growing regions or the five different growing regions within Alberta? Yeah, I, you know, thinking about this question, I think in general, the trends that we saw and, and how weather impacted crop production compare one comparing one region to another I don't think it was too atypical from what we see generally that you know generally the south is hit harder um, we saw grasshoppers um, they caused an impact and, and made you know for some difficult decisions on do we manage these grasshoppers with such a, a small amount of crop to be taken off um, you know and then we got a little bit more rain when we headed into the central part of the province um, which again, this is something typically we're going to see. They're going to get more moisture into that that gray and, and darker soil zones. Um, but then they they dealt with wheat mitch um, during the season too, because we've had you know there's been three years now of good spring moisture, um, so wheat mitch is becoming more and more of an issue. So they're likely going to be seeing some of the impacts of wheat mitch in their grain. Um, but you know they they saw a lack of rainfall, um, but it was still more than what we saw in the south. Um, and then when we head up into the northwestern part of the region, you know, they were almost overly wet in the spring. I think they were a few rainfalls away of, from getting concerned about an excess amount of, of moisture um, and seeing another year like they had seen in 2020. But then, like everyone else, the tap shut off and, and you know, it was a question of, OK, when are we going to get some rain again? Uh, and, and, you know, we start tapping our toes and, and waiting for that to happen. And, and the piece, I think. You know, generally we see good yields and good quality out of that that part of the province. Uh, you know, those peace grower regions, they do a great job um, uh, producing a quality crop. Uh, and they just got they just got nailed with lack of rainfall again or this year, um, you know, similar almost to what we saw in the south. So that was quite atypical for them. They can get drier periods, um, but you know, it, when I started hearing about the amount of lack of rainfall that was happening in the piece, it was it was probably more you know it was more shocking than than hearing that lack of rainfall in the south. Um, but like I said, in general, you know, comparing one area to the other, I think the differences we've seen between them are are, are kind of typical to what we see year to year. They were just all depressed overall. Um, but yeah, we saw the grasshoppers in the south, we saw the wheat midge in, in the central part of the regions, we still saw a disease in the northwest where we did have some moisture and, and enough rainfall for that to come along. Um, and yeah, the, the piece was challenged with that lack of rainfall. Definitely. You've touched on it perfectly, uh, going on to one of my next questions and just the things that farmers and producers do not want to see coming back in their fields and that's insect pests. During harvest, are there any ways that producers can kind of control for these insects uh, while they're going through their fields? Yeah, when it comes to um, some of the insects we're seeing, like like wheat midge, um, you know, if you if you're seeing some of these samples come back and you know you're seeing wheat midge damage, um, you need to be thinking about should I be using a midge tolerant variety. Um, you know, there's plenty of midge tolerant varieties available. There's great genetics out there to choose from. So if you're seeing these impacts, um, making that that move to a midge tolerant variety is going to be something that you should really be thinking about um, and thinking about it soon because the amount of seed available for some of these 
these varieties is going to be challenged because of the lack of rainfall and the lack of yield we've had. Um, also be thinking about rotation, you know, those cereal on cereal or wheat on wheat fields, they're going to be more challenged with wheat midge. So making sure that you're getting a broadleaf in there to break some of that up is going to be helpful and watch for the forecast maps when they come out in the spring. Um, Alberta Ag has always does a wonderful job of collecting insect information and putting it out for producers to be aware of where the risks are and how they should be making decisions. Obviously, you know, we, it's a large scale survey uh, and producers are going to have to look at what they've seen on the ground to make that decision, but it's a good indicator of whether you should be thinking about making a move on something. Um, you know, in the south, we saw sawfly, um, which has been growing year by year. Um, it's it's kind of making a comeback. And this is creating a lot of challenges because we've, we've seen um, we've seen a lack of available CWRS varieties with solid stem genetics. Uh, we have some good semi-solid genetics, but they're just not providing the protection for those high, high pressure areas. Um, so in these areas, you know, potentially switching classes to a Durham, if possible, could be an option. Um, there's a few TWAD, uh, um, so Durham varieties that, that producers can choose from. Um, but if they're not in those regions, rotations is going to be very helpful. Um, you know, even this year, which I hadn't seen previously, but wheat stem softfly was impacting barley. So again, moving to something that's not a cereal, um, a broadleaf like peas or canola, um, and moving away from, from that cereal is going to help reduce those populations. Making sure that if you are putting in a cereal, um, you're doing the appropriate sowing density for a midge-tolerant variety, which is that, that 300 viable seeds per meter squared. Um, and again, watching for those forecast maps. Um, that's going to give you an indication of where those risks are and whether you should be making decisions. Um, and, you know, I mentioned about using a solid stem variety. Um, and, you know, we're past that, that stage now of knowing exactly what going out and be, being able to count which percentage of stems were impacted. Um, but it's really in that 10 to 15% range where you really want to be thinking about implementing a solid stem variety. Um, so hopefully you went out and took a peek and got an idea before you went through and combined. Um, you know, one thing that can be helpful is, is some aggressive harrowing um, that wheat stem sawfly larvae live in the lower part of the stem. Um, so when you do a little bit more aggressive harrowing, um, that can beat up that wheat stem sawfly larvae and, and help reduce the population. The problem with that, Dylan, right now is we are in such a drought in the southern part of the province. Um, you know, I know producers are going, I don't, I don't even want to harrow right now. Um, so between all of those factors, I mean, look at the options. Um, can I rotate? Can I move to a different class? Um, can I be uh, making sure that I'm, I'm putting the appropriate seeds down? Um, you know, these are questions that, you know, some of them, some of them are going to work on some farms and, and others aren't. Um, so it's really going to take a producer to, you know, ask the questions, look at the options, uh, and they can reach out to us to see, you know, what may fit on their farm um, if they're continuing to see challenges. Definitely. A fantastic answer, by the way. Lots of great information, not only about wheat midge, but then also an insect dear to my heart, uh, the wheat sims offline. Um, kind of look, looking to manage some other things. Uh, you touched briefly about disease. But could you also talk about um, how producers can also try to manage any weeds 
that they might have seen uh, in their field during harvest. Yeah, um, I mean, we are we are getting to kind of the end point of, of maybe being able to go through and, and kill off some of those perennials and, and uh, winter annuals. Um, we've had a few fro hard frosts here now. Um, so, you know, that may no longer be an option because if, if that top material is dead, because we've had that hard frost going through and, and trying to apply a glyphosate, it, it, you know, it's not going to take it up. It's not going to be beneficial. Um, so hopefully with this open fall, producers have already made that decision. Um, they've taken and seen what's out there, um, waited for some regrowth and, and made their application of glyphosate plus a tank mix partner, depending on what challenges they're seeing. But with this open fall um, and not being tied up with a later harvest, producers can make a decision of, of applying products like Avidex in the fall to help with their wild oak control um, and, and putting down a granular um, and, and maybe making the decision of, can I help myself out in the spring? So it's really going to take scouting in your fields, seeing what's in there right now. You know, if you've seen frost already impacting them and it looks like all that top plant material is dead, you know, you're not going to be wanting to apply anything foliar, but then asking the question of what does your rotation look like next year? Uh, is there anything I can do with this open fall? Um, and now that soil temperatures are starting to get lower and we're know we're going to reduce activity when we apply these granulars, um, can I use something like Avidex to help myself in the, the following year? Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of making sure that when you have the opportunity to clean up weeds in the fall, um, go for it uh, because it, it's going to make things easier in the spring. We know we have an open fall right now. Um, so save yourself the stress if you can and, and, and take control of it. Um, so yeah, scouting, knowing what's there and, and planning based on your rotation to, to throw some, some, maybe some fall residual in there. Yep. It sounds like scouting is always and forever will be very important to better just understand uh, what's going on in uh, your own field and make uh, decisions based on that. Uh, so looking, I guess, a little bit deeper into the ground, uh, just with as soon as someone's actually gone through their field and harvested, what are some ways, I guess this might be too late for now, but uh, how could someone look to uh, make sure that their soil is uh, A-okay and beneficial for them coming uh, in the spring when they go back into their field? Yeah, and you know, this is going to be a very regional question. Um, you know, I don't think we dealt with too much moisture in around harvest. Um, so hopefully producers aren't um, implementing any type of tillage if it's not necessary, if their fields are, are, are clean, um, no ruts, uh, you know, leaving those fields and, and you know, asking the question of, of why am I tilling? Um, is this necessary uh, for next year? Um, and, and you know, I, I think at this point, a lot of producers are probably holding back. Um, one, because it costs money and, and um, you know, with such a dry year and, and um, you know, a reduction in the amount of, of residue or straw residue, um, we may not, it may not be as necessary. Um, but the other aspect to think of is, is fertilizer. Um, you know, what can I be thinking about after a dry year in terms of, of fertilizer? planning, especially in a year where we're seeing massive increases in the amount or the cost of, of fertilizer. I think, you know, I heard over a thousand dollars a ton um, for urea. So this is causing, um, you know, obviously a lot of talk at the shops, um, you know, of, of what can I do to minimize costs or, or make sure that when I am spending money, I'm making the best use of it. Um, and, you know, I'll say those two words, soil tests. 
soil test, soil test, soil test. Uh, you know, with the lack of rainfall, um, you know, if you receive less than 60% of your average rainfall, you're likely going to see a carryover from the nitrogen you applied this year. So get your soil test, get an idea of what's going in there, and then get a better idea of what you need to purchase so you don't need to overpurchase. If you're in that 80% of average rainfall range, you're probably not going to see too much of a difference. But, you know, in some of these areas, rainfall was very spotty. Some fields got it, some didn't, even, you know, within a few miles. So soil sampling those fields, getting an idea of what your nitrogen levels are in there, that's going to help you make those decisions on where I should be putting this and where I'm going to get the best return. Um, you know, phosphorus is always something that, that uh, you know, we got to think about every year. Um, the first thing I'll say is if you're doing a soil test for phosphorus, make sure you're doing a modified Kelowna. Uh, it is ideal for Alberta soils. It's going to give you the most accurate number. Um, you know, a, a Bray is, is it's not calibrated for it appropriately. Um, so make sure you're doing that modified Kelowna. Um, and, you know, there may be a desire to reduce the amount of phosphorus going down. This is where it's going to be appropriate to do your soil test, know what you have, you know, in the brown and dark brown soil zones, we still see responses, you know, 60% plus of the fields get responses, you know, when we're seeing 20 to 30 ppm of phosphorus in the soil. So, you know, you're going to get your return on investment, or you're going to get a high likelihood of a return on investment in there. But if you're in the, the 30 to 40 ppm range, um, a little bit less likely. Um, so if you're kind of trying to choose between which field I'm going to be applying this on, getting a soil test, going to help you make sure that you're accurately applying where you need your phosphorus to go to get the best return on investment, but also to make sure that you're not selling your, your field short. Um, because if you do have low PPM phosphorus, um, that, that, that map or that phosphorus with your starter uh, will pay back. Um, the other thing to, to keep in mind is, um, you know, potassium. Um, when you have, in, in you know, a lot of people maybe took off straw this year. Um, so accounting for that, um, depending on where your soil soil test levels are at are gonna be important. Um, you know, in the range of 200 to 250 pounds of actual potassium. Um, so that would be 100 to 125 ppm. Um, below this, you're, you've, you've got a high probability of response. Um, over 250 pounds, so over 125 ppm, uh, your likelihood of response is much lower. Um, so then it'll be a question of, do I wanna make sure I'm replacing what I removed uh, or um, do I need to, or should I be putting this on there, on here to get a, a profitable response? Um, and like I mentioned, if you like a lot of producers maybe removed straw this year because um, it was, the, the value was there for it. So making sure that you're accounting for that in your, in your soil test um are in your uh in your fertilizer plan is going to be helpful wow that was a a lot of great information in that answer thank you for that um so lastly i just want to uh briefly touch on um i'm sure that you've had loads and tons and tons of conversations with wheat producers all over alberta um could you touch on maybe some of the main takeaways or some of the things that they experience throughout Harvest 21? Yeah, you know, every producer deals with their own challenges um, that are going to be 
distinct and particular for their farm, for their operation, for their region. Um, and it's a very interesting question to ask producers what they learned this year, because when you when you start getting some of the feedback, it is very particular. You know, it could be as, as simple as, you know, we, we, we found a, um, a canola variety that was pod shatter that was more beneficial for us. Um, or, you know, we learned that this year when we have this amount of rainfall, the fungicide that we applied on our cereals, just the ROI isn't there. Um, and we did get a lot of questions about that this year. Um, and, you know, it was, it was because we had that lack of rainfall in areas that usually see a lot of rainfall, we had the questions come in of, should I still be applying? Is this, you know, when isn't it necessary to be applying? Because I know in my region, I get enough rainfall, enough disease that it's an issue. Um, but, you know, with this, you know, less than four inches of rainfall, you know, a lot of these regions were, were seeing a lack of ROI when it comes to fungicide. So I think a lot of producers kind of now um, have that in the back of their head of maybe not every year is necessary to apply a fungicide, even though typically I do see a return, um, there are going to be years where it's, it's not as, it's not as beneficial. Um, I think, you know, in, in, in all of the conversations I've had, um, it always strikes me how, as much as it's been an extremely challenging year, the optimism and the desire to take information, even during a challenging year, and use it to apply to future decisions, um, it always it always impresses me. Um, you know, yeah, I've only received less than an inch of rainfall this year, but you know, I saw this and this and this, and it's going to be helping me make, you know, my farm specific decisions next year um so I, I i you know i think there was a lot that got learned but i also think that you know this isn't this isn't something that farmers have never dealt with you know we've seen drought in the past we've seen lack of rainfall um, we've seen huge stresses so i don't i don't think that this is as much as it is hugely impacting i don't think it is a complete shock and awe of how do we move forward from this? Producers, they have a lot of facets that they need to manage uh, in terms of cost, fertilizer, equipment, land costs, all of these things. Um, so now it's a question of, okay, how do I take what we have at the, the market price my grain is now and make it work best for me for next year? And when you see producers pulling off 10 bushel wheat and talking about how they're going to make changes or, or or tackle next year as best as they can. I think that speaks to the strength uh, and tenacity of Alberta producers. I think, you know, they want to be successful. Um, they want to do um, good for the ag industry, for their community, for their family, for their farm. Um, and, you know, for me, that was one of the biggest learnings that I had is, is you know, as, as much as this is probably the most challenging harvest I've been an agronomist in, um, you know, some of these producers take it in stride. Um, and it's, 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 it's very inspiring. But one other thing I'll, I'll kind of leave with is, I, you know, I think one thing that I've seen a lot of producers talk about and, and think about this year is, you know, because we're seeing a lack of seed availability, because we're seeing a lack of yield, um, a lot of producers are taking a lot more interest in their seed quality. You know, what am I pulling off? Can I use this for next year? Um, because there is a lack of availability. Um, so sending in that seed for testing, getting an idea, knowing where it's going to go. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of interest in this this year. 
Um, and, you know, even though we had those late June heats, those mid to late June heats, which we typically do not see. I mean, usually we see those heats in the middle of July, headed into August. So some of that early seeded crop was actually impacted a little bit more depending on where they were and what the timing was. But I think it was kind of a realization that this is a very atypical year in terms of lack of moisture and excess heat in June. Um, but I think a lot of producers saw the juxtaposition of, okay, this is typically what we see in, June, in July. So if I seed a little bit earlier, I'm more likely to avoid this stress and see that difference more often. You know, there's always that risk that we'll have earlier heat and earlier stress, but less often um, than having that heat later in the season. So I think it had a lot of producers asking the question of, you know, what is the, the benefit of, of getting that crop in, that cereal crop in earlier than, than I have been. Um, so I think there was a lot of learnings across the province. And I, I think, uh, you know, producers are always looking to take information from a challenging year and, and use it to be successful in the next year. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head that this, or the your producers rather hit it right on the head. This has been a very atypical year, but it it is great to hear about the optimism that uh, they're all looking forward to next year and already planning uh, to make uh, you know the growing season in 2022 a lot better than this year. So, Jeremy, thank you so much for uh, talking with me today. Uh, where can people find you and get more information that we've kind of been discussing about today? Sure. You can uh, find me in many places. I'm obviously on Twitter uh, at Boych and Jeremy, so you can get at me there. Um, if you go to the Alberta wheat or Alberta barley website, you can find my contact information there as well. Reach out to me. I'm always happy to have a chat. Um, we have our, the growing point newsletter um, so as Alberta wheat and Alberta barley, uh, we put out as much timely, relevant agronomic information to producers as possible. So look up uh, the Growing Point newsletter and subscribe. Um, and we're always putting out information for producers to use to, to hopefully um, help them make decisions on the farm and, and be more effective and more efficient. Great. Well, thank you again so much. I am joined by Kaylee Kondratchuk. She is the Agronomy Extension Specialist for SAS Canola. Kaylee, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Dylan. No worries. Uh, for our listeners, could you give yourself uh, a little brief little introduction and also what you do for uh, SAS Canola? Absolutely. So I'm fairly new to SAS Canola. Um, I've, it's been about a month that I've been here, um, but as the agronomy extension specialist, my role is to uh, give producers the information they need to make the best decision that they can for their farms. So relaying um, research results over to them and any agronomic information that they may need throughout the growing season and into the winter for their planning as well. Great. Well, first off, congratulations on the, on the new position. Thanks. And I'm sure uh, all of the canola growers in Saskatchewan are very excited to have you on board and willing to help them with all their agronomy related needs. Well, I'm so excited to be working with them. Awesome. So on today's episode, we're uh, talking about uh, harvest and getting a little update on how Harvest 21 is going. And today our focus is going to be on uh, canola in, in Saskatchewan. 
So harvest has wrapped up for the majority of the province. Uh, there may still be a few fields here and there um, that still need to be combined, but for the most part, it has been completed within the last couple of weeks. Great. So how is the progress compare with uh, the five-year or 10-year average? Harvest this year was ahead of both the five and 10-year averages. Uh, the five-year average uh, for this time of year uh, would be 79% and the 10-year average 83%. And now this is for all crops. Uh, and this is based off of the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture's final crop report that was released on October 7th. Wow. So everyone got to work pretty quickly here. Uh, do you have any idea or kind of thoughts as to why the average was so uh, like well and above the five-year and 10-year average? For sure. So there's a few things that happened this year. Uh, in a lot of areas of the province, um, producers were able to get into the fields to seed earlier this spring due to how dry it was. So most of the province had an early snowmelt and warm, windy conditions that allowed fields to dry up early. And some producers were seeding by early to mid-April in areas where they wouldn't normally start to seed so early. So in a lot of areas of the province, seeding started at least a couple weeks ahead of normal. Now, unfortunately, uh, these dry conditions and the warm, windy weather continued into the rest of the spring. So most of the province did see some moisture around the May long weekend. Um, in some areas, it was in the form of snowfall. Uh, but regardless of the form it came in, it was very much welcomed. In some areas, producers had delayed seeding until they received that moisture to seed their canola. Um, so the moisture was variable across the areas that did receive it. And for a lot of Saskatchewan, this was the last significant amount of moisture that was seen until August. So the drought combined with extreme heat and wind that we had over the growing season really depleted any soil moisture that we did have. And so crops rapidly grew and matured. And so that's why we had, uh, for the most part, a fairly early harvest. Well, that story started off very nicely <laughs> and then kind of uh, snowballed into uh probably not the best story for a lot of our the producers in Saskatchewan, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. It, it was uh, great early on, um, although we did think that it was going to be dry fairly early this year, just given how quickly the snow melted and, and the conditions that we had earlier in the spring. Um, so we, we were still hoping for the best, though, and hoping to get that moisture in season. It just didn't happen for us. Definitely. I mean, I imagine we're all kind of hoping the best for our producers and our farmers out there. So this may be a little bit of a harsh question to ask, but uh, do we have any idea how the yields are looking uh, this year? Yields in 2021 are significantly lower than what we would normally expect. So the areas that were fortunate enough to catch the odd shower over the summer had yields that were a little closer to what average may be. So anywhere from the 35 to 40 bushel um, would be average maybe for the province. Uh, but for most of Saskatchewan, producers saw half to even a quarter of what their normal would be. And then there were also areas that were far lower than that. And uh, producers were only combining some, some of those fields uh, because they had to clean up the plant material that was there so that in the spring, they'll be able to seed into it. Yeah, so it's a somewhat related kind of story to the, the percentage for the progress of harvest. I imagine you kind of briefly touched on it, but these yields are much, much lower than our five-year, 10-year averages. 
Yeah, in years when we see adequate rainfall and ideal growing conditions, uh, canola yields can be anywhere from like 25 to 60 bushels per acre. Um, so 2021 is definitely well below these these years. I think if uh, if people had to put a word for this growing season, it would be not ideal. And exactly. It, yeah. Um, I just want to touch on one thing that I kind of noticed while uh, driving around Saskatchewan, and it's canola regrowth, where uh, even last month you would drive by a field and it would look like it was in full flower. So could you touch on that and kind of describe what uh, some growers might be going through right now? Yeah, canola regrowth uh, certainly was a bigger issue this year than we've seen in the past. Um, and the regrowth was a problem in in a lot of fields. So in those that were being left to straight combine, uh, in those that were swathed, and in those that were already harvested. So in those cases, producers were working with their agronomists to make the best decisions that they could on a field-by-field -field basis. So some producers were able to spray uh, some left it and harvested fields in stages. Um, so they left that green green material to um, to mature on its own. Um, and then some were even cutting it, cutting the regrowth for feed for either themselves or their neighbors with livestock. So each decision depended on the amount of regrowth, um, the timelines for harvest, and the individual needs of the producers. And at this point, most of that decision-making is done as we've now had a hard enough frost that would have killed a lot of that regrowth. Um, so until the plants die though, they continue to take up moisture and nutrients from the soil. So there maybe was a little bit more spraying going on to control that volunteer canola regrowth than other years as producers were just trying to conserve as much moisture as they could this year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've touched on it earlier, but there was little to none uh, precipitation right after that main long period. And I imagine this regrowth was kind of not very welcome. As yeah, for sure. So we had that a little bit of rain in August, which triggered some of that regrowth. Um, so it did cause some problems at harvest, but um, I mean, we're still happy to see moisture regardless of when it comes. So we'll take it. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So now that harvest is uh, pretty much over and um, if you're in Saskatchewan, you might have already been dumped with a little bit of snow. Uh, could you go over some uh, tips or manage best management practices relating to how producers can look to get the best out of their soil via some uh, either nutrition or fertilizer uh, tips or anything like that? Sure. So to have an accurate idea of what fertility needs will be for next year, um, we're advising producers to get a soil test. Uh, this year had so many variables. To guess what's still currently available in the soil would be very difficult. In order to apply the right rate of fertilizer next year to achieve your target yield, uh, plan to soil test either this fall or in the spring. At harvest, there was a high, higher residual soil nutrient level due to the low yields and the reduced plant growth that required less nutrients. Um, so since harvest, some of those nutrients have been taken up by some of that regrowth that we talked about. And those nutrients haven't been lost, but will be largely unavailable next year. So any of these, any of these scenarios, uh, a soil test as close to freeze up as possible will help producers to plan to apply the right fertilizer rate for next year. Great. Uh, awesome answer. So keeping with post-harvest 
Uh, I imagine for a lot of folks, they also have to plan out their storage for what they are able to collect off their fields. Um, do you have any uh, tips or best management practices related to storage? Yeah, in terms of storage, um, keep monitoring bins. Uh, because of the regrowth that we had, uh, the temperatures when canola was combined and the moisture content, uh, there may be many things to watch out for. So the most recent uh, canola watch released by the Canola Council of Canada has some great information on what to do in these different situations. Great. And yes, uh, the Canola Council of Canada, that is a fantastic resource for anyone that has not uh, gone there for some better managing practices as well. Uh, so going further along here and going on to some things that I, I imagine some producers would not want to find in their fields, and that would be weeds and insect pests. Um, during harvest and the later um, months of the growing season, what are some weeds that uh, one might find in their fields and how should they go about uh, getting rid of them? So for the most part, it's past the point where we should be worrying about maybe controlling anything else that's left in the fields. Um, we're going to need to watch for increased weed growth in the form of volunteers next year. Um, and because of the dry conditions, we will see most of the province at a higher risk for herbicide residue carryover. Uh, the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture just published some new maps recently, and it appears as though most of the province has seen inadequate amounts of of rainfall during the time period when most herbicide breakdown would occur. So this puts most of the province at risk. And further to that, there are areas of the province where it's been very dry for several years. And so those areas um, would be at an even greater risk of carryover issues. So to see those maps, they're um, available online and you can see both um, the 2022 carryover risk as well as um, last year's risk so that you can see which areas you're in and uh, assess your risk from there. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad that's available for people to uh, look at because that uh, residue is uh, definitely something that everyone should be kind of uh, cognizant about. For sure. Um, and you also mentioned um, insects. So uh, we may also see an increase in flea beetle pressure next spring uh, as the fall populations were very high in a lot of the province. So depending on the growing conditions next year too, uh, we may also have to keep an eye on other insect pests like grasshoppers, uh, which prefer drier conditions and were a problem for a lot of producers this year. Um, also, it's a great time now to keep some notes on the condition of fields. So think about weeds that weren't controlled this fall that might need to be taken into consideration when you're planning next year's crop and they may need to be controlled uh, quickly in the spring. So for example, uh, winter annuals like flixweed that are sur surviving over winter will start to use a lot of that soil moisture early next spring. So plan to control those early. Awesome. That, that's a fantastic tip. I just want to cycle back to flea beetles because when I think of flea beetles, I think of them as an early season canola pest where, mm -hmm. you know, just as you're getting uh, a little bit of growth out of your seeds, that's when you have to start scouting for flea beetles. What kind of pressure or damage can flea beetles do uh, at the end of the season? So flea beetles at the end of the season, so we see the adults in the spring and then they're going to be emerging again in the fall. In the fall, they'll be feeding on stems, they'll be feeding on pods. Usually flea beetles are not an issue in the fall and we don't actually have any economic thresholds that we can follow other than just monitoring for them. Um, 
generally they don't cause much of an issue, but there were there was such a higher pressure this fall that we're maybe concerned that in the spring, um, that fall population is going to be overwintering and emerging in the spring. Um, so we may see increased pressure and we may need to just, just be aware and be planning for that next year as well. Definitely. I think uh, ha just having that idea of what's going on in your field and uh, being aware of what potentially might be, you know, coming up as the snow melts, uh, you know, sometime in next April or even earlier, maybe. For sure. Yeah, we have all of the forecast maps available to us, but um, replacing, like we cannot replace scouting with you just using those forecast maps, actually getting out into your field um, does wonders to know what, what exactly is there. And, and like I mentioned, take notes so that you're not forgetting and you have record of it uh, going in each year. 100%. Uh, scouting is and always will be very important uh, to know what's going on specifically for your specific field. Um, so one last thing I just want to touch on, uh, I'm sure you were able to talk to uh, Saskatchewan canola producers over this uh, very harsh and troubling year. Uh, what were some of the main takeaways that you were hearing when you were uh, having these discussions? So this year was the driest year that most producers can remember. Um, and as we see the industry adapt and change practices to continually improve, we're experiencing many challenges like the weather uh, for the first time. So this year, there weren't any right or wrong decisions and every producer did what was best for their farm. Uh, moisture conservation going into next year is important. Uh, limit tillage practices that will lead to further drying and or blowing of the soil this winter. Um, and consider crop rotation plans following the drought conditions with the potential of herbicide carryover. And then lastly, soil test and plan a fertilizer strategy that has options to capitalize on input prices and yield gains while also taking into account environmental conditions. So um, be prepared to do things that you may not normally do, like top dressing uh, during the year. Great. Well, those are all fantastic takeaways. And I'm sure uh, everyone should be writing those down. Uh, Kaylee, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, where can people uh, find you? For more information on canola production, uh, can be found on the Canola Encyclopedia or subscribing to Canola Watch. Um, and then you can also reach out to SAS Canola for any canola-related inquiries at 306-975-0262 or email us at info at sascanola.com. Great. Uh, thank you so much for uh, sitting down and talking with us today, Kaylee. Thanks for having me, Dylan. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.